1952, young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off of Catalina Island. She was determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She had already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. Uh, The weather was foggy and chilly. Florence could hardly see the boats accompanying her on the trip. But still, she swam for 15 hours. And when she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother, who was in a boat alongside of her, told her she was close. She was so close, she could make it. But finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming And they pulled her out. And it wasn't until she was in the boat that she discovered that the shore was less than a half a mile away. And at the news conference the next day, this is what she said. She said, all I could see was the fog. All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore... I would have made it. Some of you right here, right now, feel just like Florence. You're swimming in a fog. You're clawing with your hands. You're kicking with your feet. Slogging along, seeing nothing but gray. You can't detect the shore. You're in the fog of this pandemic, the fog of uncertainty, the fog of not knowing, the fog of fatigue. Anybody feeling the fog of fatigue? If you could only see the shore. Have I got good news for you? This is the shore. This is the shore. I want want to help you see the shore. There is a shore, and I I, I want you to let me help you show you the shore. Take your Bibles and meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. In these verses, the supernatural solar light of God's Word burns through the fog of this world. The Apostle Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come 
to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is God's word. Church family, this is the shore. Keep your eyes on the shore. Paul gives us the blazing truth about our final home. What Paul's been doing here in 1 Corinthians 15, it, he has been, he's been uh, teaching what is the longest discussion of anything Paul has to teach in all of his letters. It is about the resurrection of the body and the resurrected new heavens and new earth, worshiping and serving the resurrected Christ. We are going to be spending much more time in the new heavens and the new earth than we are on this earth. And so it makes sense, does it not, for us to learn what the life is going to be when we are with Jesus in resurrected bodies. Amen? And you know, we are, I think we need to be prepared to thank the Corinthians in the new heavens and the new earth because if it weren't for their crazy ideas about the afterlife, why, we wouldn't have such a treasure. <laughs> so someone's craziness is our bounty. Thanks be to God. For the Christian, the shore is Jesus Christ and life with him in a promised place where we will live together forever. Here's what I want you to hear in these verses. It's a very simple, big idea. Beloved, God won't let death win. He will not let death win. He will not let death have the last word. Our homeland is an immortal, imperishable life on an immortal, imperishable earth, won for us by the immortal, imperishable Christ. And that makes Everything different as to how I live my life in the here and now. The guaranteed there and then changes everything about the here and now. And so as we consider these verses this morning in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58, I just want to answer three questions. And the first, first is this, how will we know death has not won? How, how will we know death has not won? That's question number one. 
The second question is, when will we know death has not won? When? And then finally, what about in the meantime? That's the here and now. What does God want from us until then? So this is kind of a what, so what, now what message, all right? That's where we're going. So let's, let's tackle the first question. How, how will we know death has not won? Question one. Well, Paul has already told us that. Paul says back in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 10, we know death has not won by Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus Christ now is embodied in a glorified, resurrected body. And because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, by grace, through faith in him, we will be raised. We will be changed. We will be changed. We must be changed. God must change us. We need immortal, imperishable bodies. Verse 50 says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says that our, our flesh and blood bodies, that is the bodies we have now, these bodies are insufficient for the new heavens and the new earth because they perish and they die. They age, they decay, they break, they get sick, they tire, they stoop, they are fragile, they need sleep, they get sick. I'm reminded of this every time I get a call from Walgreens. Your prescription is ready. I know. We're going to put it back on the shelf and you'll have to reorder if you don't come in five days. I know. I know. One of the glories of the new heavens and the new earth is that I will not need a pillbox. I won't have to worry about that. Hallelujah. Most of our prayer requests from you and please continue, please continue these requests. But most of our prayer requests have to do with the flesh and blood body. Bodies worn by heart disease, cancer, broken bones, and young bodies worn by, uh, cut short by diseases and senseless deaths. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul calls the flesh and blood body a tent. A tent. One author put it this way. Yours was once sturdy, but the weather and seasons of life have left the canvas threadbare. You know, for some of you, right here, right now, your body has never been strong. Your eyesight has never been sharp. Your hearing has never been clear. Your walk has never been sturdy. Your heart has never been steady. You see others every day take for granted the things that you struggle with. If you never saw another wheelchair or a walker or a doctor for the rest of your life, you'd be happy. And that's just the flesh and blood frailty. There's also sinful frailty. Throughout the course of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul has confronted this church about selfishness, arrogance, defensiveness, stinginess, and sexual immorality. 
all of which require a body and all of which are incompatible with God's coming kingdom. Something has to happen to us in order for us to inhabit the white-hot holiness of God. And Paul tells us what that is in verse 51. We shall all be changed. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things are new. In Christ, our hearts have been transformed. But our body just hasn't caught up yet. And one day it will. One day God will change and culminate who we are, body, soul, and spirit in the new heavens and the new earth. And some may read these verses and think, well, why doesn't God just destroy my body and give me one that's brand new? Well, think of it this way. Why do you think those fixer-upper programs on HDTV are so popular? Uh, They could just bulldoze that old house, right? It'd be more efficient since when has our eternal God ever been concerned about efficiency? No, there's something more glorious about a renovated, restored, and resurrected house. Such a restoration reflects the majestic glory of the master builder. And friends, God is the master builder. He's the master creation. God loves his creation. He loves that your body matters. Your ethnicity matters. Your your body isn't disposable. It's a seed with a spectacular potential. And in verse 53, the apostle says that that change is like Putting on. You see how many times he uses the word put on. That's like putting on new clothing. In the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells about a wayward son who finally came home. And this wayward son was practicing his speech. Make me like one of your servants, father. And the father ran out to him and said, put the best clothing on him. Put the best shoes on him. Put my ring on his finger. Put it on him. We have physical bodies which God will put on immortal, imperishable robes of Christ's righteousness. And what that means, beloved, is that in the new heavens and the new earth, we will have the expanded capacity to do there what we've longed to do most here. You ask any maturing believer what they long for most in life, and they'll tell you it is to be a God pleaser. They want to worship him publicly and privately. They want to worship him individually and corporately. They want to progress in their service, enlarge their giving, and deepen their devotion. And to this, Jesus Christ, just hang on. In the new heavens and the new earth, what you've longed for most will finally come true. You will have a perfected body and glorified abilities to worship and express praise to God with no limitations whatsoever. 
You will have flawless motives, infinite energy, and unlimited time to give glory to God. And you will be surrounded by millions of other brothers and sisters in Christ from every tongue and tribe and nation and language who are just as passionate about praising God as you are. We will all be on the same page, and at the center of it is Jesus. Amen? Johnny Erickson Tata has had a powerful ministry and uh, she's in her 70s now. She's been uh, paralyzed since, she, since 17. She's been a quadriplegic. She's an amazing speaker. She has had an amazing uh, um, writing ministry and art ministry. Um, she wrote these words. Somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body, there is the seed of what I shall become. The paralysis makes what I am to become all the grander when you contrast my useless legs against the splendor of my resurrected legs. I'm convinced that if there are mirrors in heaven, the image I'll see will be unmistakably Johnny, although a much better, much brighter Johnny, so much so that it is not worth comparing. I will bear the likeness of Jesus the man from heaven. I tell you, church family, God won't let death win. He will raise us and he will change us. Hallelujah. Well, you may be saying, well, when? <laughs> When's this going to happen, pastor? <laughs> well, let's see what Paul says. He says... In the twinkling of an eye. That's when. That's when. In the twinkling of an eye. Uh, literally, in the blinking of an eye. So that's how fast it's going to take for the perishable to put on imperishable. Verses 54 and 55 when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Paul says in these verses that one day a trumpet will sound. What's that? Well, in the Roman Empire, uh, the sounding of the trumpet signaled the arrival of royalty. So when the trumpet sounds, the people are summoned. This is not just true of the Roman Empire. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 27, verse 13, it says, And in that day a great trumpet will be blown. And those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. So you see, the trumpet sound is this summoning that Paul says. Paul is speaking to residents of Corinth, which was a Roman colony. Now, what's the point of a colony? Two, two reasons for a colony. First, to extend the influence of the king. And second, to keep the capital city 
from overcrowding. Caesar would create colonies whose first residents were retired soldiers. Caesar did not want retired soldiers with time and blood on their hands hanging around Rome. So he sent them out and established colonies throughout the empire. Philippi was such a colony. A Corinth was such a colony. And they would start a business or they would, they would be uh, granted farmland. And, and frequently then... Caesar would make an imperial visit to a colony of his empire and the citizens would prepare. They would get ready for his arrival. And on the day of his appearing, the citizens would leave the city and go outside the gates to greet the emperor And when they converged out there for a celebration, then they would all come back into the city. And they would rejoice over the king's arrival and celebrate his victorious rule. The king's presence changed everything. Paul says in these verses, one day called the day, the trumpet will sound. The people will be summoned. The emperor Jesus will appear. And on that day, in a flash, the blink of an eye, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable. And those who happen to be alive at his appearing will also be changed. And we will meet him outside the city gates. And we will all return in our imperishable, immortal bodies to an imperishable, immortal earth. Is that not beautiful or what? God's ultimate plan, hear me now. God's ultimate plan is not to take us up to live in a realm made for him, but for him to come down and live with us in a realm he has remade for us, you see. Think about it. When we put on the garments of imperishable immortality, it won't be gradual, it'll be instantaneous. And when that happens we will not only celebrate but we will taunt death in verse 55 paul quotes from two old testament passages first he cites isaiah 25 verse 8 which says and the lord will swallow up death forever and will wipe away tears from all faces notice that in paul's recitation he does not use the future tense rather the present tense that is to say death is swallowed up in victory it's as if it's already occurred christ's immortal imperishable resurrected life has eaten death alive and in the second quote Paul cites Hosea 13, 14. I shall redeem them from death. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Where is your sting? And then Paul gives this succinct, powerful verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And right there in that verse, 
we learn why we die. You see, the reason why we die is not just because we get old and frail. It's because we have diverted from orbiting God to orbiting self. And when you cut yourself off from the life of God, what else is there but death? For the wages of sin is death, Paul says in the book of Romans. But what if God took away the sting? What if God took away the sin? Paul says in these verses, he has. These verses are, are projecting the reality of a stingless death. Jesus himself has absorbed the sting on the cross. Jesus himself has overcome the penalty of death. And so the apostle says in verse 57, thanks be to God who gives, present tense, gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory has already been won. That's what verses 1 through 10 were about when Paul spoke about the the death of Christ and the burial of Christ and how Christ was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and the Christ who appeared to witnesses. Paul brings the logical conclusion to an argument he started at the very first of this chapter. This is spectacular news, church. No one else has this news. No, No other religion has this news. None. Only Christianity can claim that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. Only Christianity can claim that he who promised is faithful. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, so that whether we live or die, we will be with him. Together, we will be in community because of Jesus Christ. And here's what this means to me personally. I've had several of you ask over the past several weeks, you know, Randy, how are you doing? How, how are you doing in this season? Has this season been difficult? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just like you. You know, it's been difficult. You know, when the pandemic hit last year, about last year at this time, I buried a 16-year-old. Um, and, and, and at the time, COVID protocols only allowed 10 people, 10 people in the room. And I distinctly, distinctly remember his mother saying, it's not supposed to be like this. This summer, I had to bury an 86-year-old who helped carry this church 25 years ago. Earlier this month, I buried a man whose wife found him dead. The night, the night before he died, their last words to one another, I love you. I love you too. Uh, Last August, my own mother passed. The very morning we were to begin a series on lament. And when I was in Tulsa, I I, I felt like I um, was more of a pastor uh, to my family than a son. Because that's what was required. And it was my joy to serve in that way, huh. 
I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't want it any other way. And, and I don't know that I've even fully grieved that, even though I know for certain, for certain, that my mother and father are with Jesus. Hmm. So church family, believe me when I say this. In my view, Jesus can't come too soon. I'm ready. Though I've never been to heaven, I sure miss it. And I think of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But God has promised us a new heaven and a new earth where justice will rule. We are really looking forward to that. 2 Peter 3, 13. Until then, until then, verse 58, Paul says, be immovable and be abounding. Be fixed and be flourishing in the Lord's work. Be fixed in the Lord's word and be flourishing in the Lord's work because nothing we do for him here will ever go to waste. Paul says, be as immovable as a, as a rock. Be firm, unshakable. The gospel of Jesus Christ is truth. Capital T, truth. You can believe it. You can build your life on it. And much has been written in our culture about the rise of the religious nuns in ONES. Less than a half, less than half the country belongs to any church or faith community. And there's a lot of hand-wringing about the rise of secularism and materialism. But I believe that author Russell Moore is on to something when he wrote these words. He said, we're losing a generation, not because they are secularists, but because they believe we are. Not because they won't believe the gospel, but because they don't think we do. That they think we're trying to construct God's kingdom on man's victories, and that will never work. What we need is not rebranding, but repentance. Meaning, as the Bible does, a turnaround. We need to be the people of Christ and him crucified. The people of the word that stands above all earthly powers and no thanks to them abides. Paul says, be firm in gospel truth. The tomb is in fact empty. The apostles were in fact telling the truth. The Bible is in fact true, which means Jesus is in fact alive and seated in the heavenly realm until the kingdom of God has come on earth as it is in heaven. So here are some questions right here, right now, to help us stay immovable. Questions such as these. Do I daily remind myself that this world is not my home? Do I daily recognize that my choices and actions have a direct influence on the world to come? Do I daily realize that my life is lived before an audience of one and that the only appraisal of my life that ultimately matters is that of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
And do I daily reflect on the fact that my ultimate home will be the new heavens and the new earth where I will see God and serve him with a resurrected body in a resurrected human society where I will overflow with joy and delight in drawing near to God by studying him learning more and more and more about his creation and where I will exercise to God's glory dominion over all that belongs to him. Be immovable, church family. And then Paul says, be abounding, be flourishing. Like a living tree, an oak, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may display his beauty. So, so be firmly rooted and be verdant with life. And notice Paul says, in the Lord's work. So Paul is talking about the work of ministry, the work of representing Jesus Christ, the work of compassion, the work of justice, the work of encouragement, the work of teaching and preaching and participating in local church life. We are a colony of heaven. And Jesus' resurrection and ours means that in a world rife with injustice and violence and degradation, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. And so in the coming months here, as we regather we have a combination of community time and ministry time outside of our corporate Sunday gatherings. So uh, in, uh, before we dismiss as a church, you'll hear a little bit of news about our children's regathering. On May the 23rd, we're going to host a Pentecost Sunday picnic after second service. And you bring the lawn chairs and the church will provide food and drinks. From June through August, we'll be hosting more community gatherings and more ministry activities, such as serving at Salt and Light, uh, serving at CU at Home, uh, which is a ministry for our friends without addresses in our community. And then we'll be hosting a cookout for the homeless at Westside Park in the summertime. In June, we'll be sending a team to Pine Haven Home in Montana for uh, a week of, of service. Let us know how you can be involved and let us know where you can serve by, by communicating with us through our app. Immovable and abounding in the Lord's work. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And do you know why our labor is not in vain? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, it's because God's grace is not in vain. Meaningful grace translates into meaningful ministry. And meaningful ministry requires me to get off the couch and get into the game. Some of us can't get here yet, but as soon as you can, please do. I miss you. I miss you. I think about 2 John 12. 2 John verse 12, where the Apostle John says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. <laughs>
Oh, the shore, church. The shore is an immortal, imperishable life on an immortal, imperishable earth. One for us by the immortal, imperishable Christ. Hear me. God won't let death win. Which means you don't need a bucket list. You don't. What you need is a post-bucket list. That's what you need. You need a list of all that you would like to do with your imperishable, immortal body in the new heavens and the new earth. Because death is not the end of the adventure. Death is our exodus from a world where dreams shrink. And it is our entrance into a world where dreams and adventures forever expand. Death is not a wall. It's a turnstile. Amen?